Um, have you ever had a parent or a friend or somebody dismiss the youth? Youth are dismissed. <laughs> Middle school, high school, teachers are waiting for you. Bye. We love you. Do you ever have a parent ever tell you, it's not what you said. It's, you have the same parent I have. It's how you said it. See, oftentimes it's not the words that we speak necessarily. It's, it's the music behind it. You know what I mean by that? It's, it's tonal. It's, yeah, it's interesting. If you watch any movie, it's never just speaking. There's always soundtracks behind the speaking. And you're catching the words, but it's the music behind the words that's really adding the emotion, that's really communicating to you perhaps even more than what the words themselves are saying. Well, we're in a series that I've called Hi-Fi, which is short for high fidelity. Okay, it's a sound industry term, and it simply means the ability to replicate um, an exact sound to match the original. And we're using it as a foundation for our series, making the correlation that that's really who we're supposed to be and who we're called to be as Christians. We're supposed to be resounding, re-speaking, replicating the sound of Jesus in the earth. It's a high call. It's also a high privilege. And so we're, we're using that as a springboard, and we're, we're in the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn there, we're going to get there and just... One second, and we're talking about, we're asking Paul to help us with some practical ways on how to adjust the sound of our lives. Our lives speak words, but our lives even louder speak sounds, speak things that aren't verbal, that others pick up on, that others catch, that others are, are moved by in one way or another. And, and so we want to keep unpacking the series that we began a couple weeks ago. In Galatians, Paul's writing to this early church, or churches. Galatia is a region, not a, loca- not a specific city. Um, and he's writing to the churches. So it's a letter that will get passed around and read to the various congregations. And he's writing to them about some of the sound adjustments, if you would, that need to be made. Because he sees some things that are, that are danger signs to him. So he's sending this letter. And we've already talked about the clarity of our sound and, and the purity of the gospel. That he was concerned because the gospel was being distorted. Um, and so we spent a little time just talking about the clarity of the gospel. What it is, what it's not. And to how we can avoid um, adding things to the gospel that, would, that really distort the sound. And if the sound is distorted then what comes out of that is, is not the pure gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's a different gospel, Paul would say. I can't repeat that message. That's, we're in the second chapter of Galatians for today, starting with verse 11 to 14, just a very interesting account. Starting with verse 11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Paul is writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, it's an interesting little story that I want to pull something out as we're talking about living lives of, of high fidelity. Um, in this world so that we can replicate the sound of Jesus in the earth. There's another adjustment that needs to be made sometimes in our lives. I want to talk today about the power of intimidation. Okay, let that word just settle for a moment. The power of intimidation. I think you'd probably agree with me. It feels like we live in an atmosphere, in a climate of intimidation these days. It, it seems everywhere you turn, there's, there's voices and sounds that, that are intimidating in all honesty, they, they, they really can be frightening on, on, on various levels. Uh, and the Bible warns us, he says, we have an enemy who goes around like a roaring lion, seeking who, can, who he can take a bite of. And sometimes you feel, like, you feel like the prey, you feel like you're on the other end of that. And through this thing called intimidation, intimidation is one of the devil's favorite tools. It's one of his most skilled and advanced weapons that he uses against us. And chances are there are folks here today who in some area of their lives uh, are dealing with intimidation. I'm praying that through this message, you may have never even thought of it in, the, in that term. Some area of your life that's being affected, the source and root of which is a spirit of intimidation that you haven't even yet identified and I hope today that the Lord will speak to you and will encourage you in whatever your life may be about today in those specific areas of, of, of stress or pain or confusion or depression or suffering. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we're here, and we're here to learn from you. We're here to hear from your word. So, so Holy Spirit, would you anoint this time? Would you bless it? And would you, we're standing on your promise that your word never returns to you void that it goes out and it accomplishes your purpose. So, Lord, let your word go out today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, let me lay the foundation for a couple of minutes. Everybody okay? Say amen. amen. We're all awake? Okay, at home, hello. Hope you're all awake. Have another cup of coffee. But listen, um, according to Wikipedia, intimidation, by definition, is any situation that would cause a person of, I love this, of ordinary sensibilities to fear injury or harm. Now, how many of you would give a self-evaluation and say you would consider yourself to be of ordinary sensibilities? Give yourself a break. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Because we're talking about you. and We know about the guy sitting next to you. Let's not even go there, but... Ordinary sensibilities that intimidation is a situation, something happening to you or around you that would cause you to fear injury or harm. That's a great definition. It is pretty inclusive. And what's interesting about it is when intimidation comes, because it, it appeals or it addresses ordinary sensibilities... Intimidation comes and it makes us think it makes sense. Okay? It makes us think it makes sense to be intimidated. Well, it's only right that 
I would be cowering from this situation. It, it just makes, it, it fits within ordinary sensibilities. It, it makes sense. Now, there is a type of, of, of fear, because intimidation at the end of the day is fear. Okay, there's a type of fear, there's types of fears that are healthy. We, we should have a, a, and be somewhat intimidated by fire. You know, we should be somewhat intimidated by driving our cars too fast. Okay, so there's healthy fear, but that's not what we're talking about today. Most fears that Christians carry or that people carry aren't healthy. They're not beneficial. But yet, we treat them and we fit them into our lives as if they make sense. As if our response and our handling and dealing with or being under that sense of intimidation is okay, is expected, is normal. And intimidation comes in all kinds of forms. It comes in verbal intimidation. It comes physical intimidation, emotional intimidation, uh, social intimidation. It comes, it's, it's loud and boisterous, and sometimes it's even just silent, but communicates just as loudly as if someone were shouting at you. And it comes with a wide range of feelings. It can come very softly and gently in the form of just annoyance, or it can come with, with terror. It can come, it can come you know, like that lion in, in horror and in, in tremendous fear. But however it comes, and in whatever form it comes, it has a singular goal, and the goal is to dominate. The goal is to control your life. The goal is to try and, and manipulate your path and get you to change course, perhaps. And in all honesty, everybody's probably, I, I can't say everyone, because I don't know absolutely everyone's life, but I would think if everyone in this room, except one or two, maybe, and I'd be concerned that maybe they're not telling us the truth, has experienced intimidation. We have. In, in some area, at some time, we've experienced, and we've probably experienced both sides, if we want to be honest. Not only being intimidated, but there's probably times where we've been the intimidator. And so we understand intimidation from both ends of the, uh, of the equation. I remember growing up, I lived on a city block, and we were you know, one of those. There wasn't a period of time where kids still played outside. You know, it was pre-video stuff, and kids came home from school and they had one objective, and that was to get outside so they could play with their friends. Um, and, and we had a great, there was a lot of kids on our block, my block that was around my same age, and it was a great growing up experience, except the house, and it happened to be the house right in the middle of the block, had two brothers. Enough said, right? We were scared to death of those guys because they were always looking, they were just a little bit older, and a little bit bigger, and, and they were just always looking to prove their superiority, to exert their dominance over us. Now, on the other side, that, so I've been, I've been a victim of intimidation, but on, on the other side, I think back to that same period in my life, um, and, and I grew up as, the, I had three sisters, I'm the only guy, right? And um, now not my older sister, because I was a little scared of her. Um, it, but I, I, know, I can remember times where um, I intimidated my younger sisters, and all I had to do was threaten to punch their dolls. 
And they would get very nervous, very upset, and do whatever I wanted. So it, it worked. So I understand this thing of intimidation. Silly illustrations, perhaps, but you get the point. And you have been in those same positions and situations, perhaps in a much serious setting. In our text, Paul's writing to his churches about some current concerns that he sees and he has. And, and in his letter now, he stops for just, just a few verses. He stops and he tells a story about intimidation. And I'm hoping we can glean a few things of practical helps and advice for us today in, in how we're living our lives. Um, and he talks about a story of an encounter he had, an exchange he had with Peter. Okay? Cephas, Peter. And it's, it would have grabbed the attention of the people hearing the, lesson, the, the letter. They would have perked up. They would have sat on the edge of their seats because it was a story that was filled with tension and, and, and um, suspense because it was this, this confrontation between, in all, at that setting, two heavyweights of faith, Paul and Peter. It, it doesn't get much bigger than that. And so this was, a, this was a story that at that moment in time would have had great impact. Now, the story is simple. Once upon a time, Peter comes to Antioch. All right, now, Antioch was an important city, especially to the Gentiles. It's probably safe to say that Antioch was to the Gentile believers what Jerusalem was to the Jewish believers. Okay, so Peter comes to Antioch, and Antioch was a test case. It was a test case for this new sect, this new sect of Judaism. It was called the Way. It was these Jews who, who didn't break away from Judaism, but were following and receiving Jesus as their Messiah and pro proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and it was a test case that the, the gospel that Jesus brought was no longer just for the Jews, but that it actually included all peoples, all right? That's the church in Antioch, and, and the, the church is, is working with that new theology, this new doctrine. Jews and Gentiles were, were living together. They were befriending each other. They were worshiping together. It was, a, it was a test case of the gospel. Antioch was a test case for the gospel itself. And this, in this, because the gospel talks about this one new man in Christ. And so it's testing the waters of that reality. And it's a big deal. Antioch was a big deal. Jews and Gentiles living life together, doing life together uh, on a, social level, on a spiritual level, they're, they're, they're eating together, they're, they're having potluck dinners, and they're eating which each, the cuisine that each other brings, they're, they're fellowship to get, fellowshipping together and socializing together, and then they're worshiping together, they're coming to the communion, they're sharing communion together, circumcised and uncircumcised together as one. They're setting aside much of the Levitical law, so they could embrace this, this oneness that now is they have in Christ Jesus, this new creation that each of them feel and sense. They're walking it out. And, and it, it just, on some, some level, it just felt wrong. It, it, it felt just very strange and very, it was real, but it, it had to felt awkward to them. It had to fill, because they had generations and generations of thinking and acting and viewing each other 
in a different light. And now here they are all together as one. It had to feel a little wrong. It'd be like if you walked into the church this morning out in the lobby, we had a, a big sign that said, God loves Michigan State football. It would just feel wrong, right? It just, something's out of place here. Something doesn't fit. Um, now, it's true. God loves Michigan State football. It just, he just loves Ohio State better. Everybody, everybody knows that. It's just... <laughs> I, have, I owe an apology to Dave and Becky Chamberlain. I, they thought revival was coming to Christian Assembly. But they're, see, they're working it out in Antioch. They're making it happen in Antioch. It's, and, and in fact, it was at Antioch, remember, where they, the church were, was first called, they were first called Christians. That happened in Antioch because this, this new life was actually working. This one new man was actually standing upright and walking around, and, and, and it was working, and the people were benefiting by it. Now, of course, because this is a new thing, and anytime, anything that's a move of God, the enemy will always come against. We all know that, right? Anything God does, the enemy tries to, to distort, pervert, do whatever he can, put up roadblocks, and so opposition comes. And it, it arose out of a group of Jewish legalists called the Judaizers. The text calls them the circumcision party because they were trying to stay. They weren't denying the gospel, but they're saying the gospel doesn't exclude. In fact, the gospel must include the Levitical law. So dietary laws, the, 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 the laws about holy days and festival, festival days and whatnot had to be continue to be observed and maintained, and especially circumcision, that Yes, we will welcome Gentiles, but they must be circumcised. They were adding to the gospel and, and giving tremendous pressure pushback to this young church. It says that certain men from James, that means from Jerusalem, showed up in Antioch. Don't, don't read that statement as James was the, the half-brother of Jesus. He was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, So they may have said that James sent them. But we know that James didn't. In Acts, I think the 15th chapter, after the church council, there's a letter that goes from James, and he talks about there's some brothers who have come out that came from us saying they were from us. They're not from us. Okay? So, so they're, they're name droppers, really. They're just trying to validate. How many of you know that a telltale sign when you're trying to prove something that you're not sure of yourself, you use someone else's name as an authority? Just because you don't really feel you have the real authority. and Okay, no one's ever done that. So Peter's enjoying this, this new freedom, right? He, he came to visit. He's been in Antioch before these guys from Jerusalem arrived. And he's enjoying this, this new life. He's fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He's building friendships with them. He's, he's um, having dinner with them. He's meeting them over at Starbucks. He's, and it's, it's just working, and it feels so good. You know, he's staying in a Gentile B&B, you know, that, that, for, for his residency, and, and it's all working, and then these certain guys show up, and everything changes. When he sees these guys, Peter, Peter is intimidated, and it says that he begins to draw back. He pulls back. He begins to change his, his behavior, and then not, if that's not bad enough, it says that because of seeing his reaction, now 
others followed his lead. So other Jewish believers are now starting to divide and separate themselves from their Gentile brothers and sisters, which was creating more, even more confusion, more division. Um, and Paul sees it. Paul notices it. And he calls out Peter on it. Okay, that's the story. Now, it's not a new story. It's not an unfamiliar story. We can all relate with Peter. You know, we've all been in those situations. You ever been the new kid on the block? The new kid at school? The new person at work? You know, you ever, you ever been the one who's the only Christian in the office? Yeah, we, you have those times and those moments where you just know that, you know, something here is not a good fit. You just sense and can feel that, that awkwardness, that intimidation. You know, do you ever have someone in your life who, for whatever reason, they just decide they don't like you? And so they just make it difficult. They just choose to be less than friendly to you for no apparent reasons. Sometimes we can get intimidated. Not sometimes. Just listening to the news, it can be intimidating. Scrolling through page after page on, on, in social media can be intimidating to us. We, we get the story didn't end with Peter. Intimidation is common to all of us. In fact, I have to admit, when I read the story, it gave me this warped and, and wrong sense of satisfaction, saying, well, gosh, if Peter could fall prey to this, then maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. You know, so we, we, we can find some sense of comfort in this story. And it might help you to know some of the symptoms of, of intimidation, some of them being just a short list of hopelessness, fear, anxiety, depression, complacency, joylessness, lack of direction, indecision. Those are all some of the symptoms, the fruit of a life that is under the, the attack of intimidation. Now, sometimes we feel those things and we sense those things, but, and we can't get out from under them because we treat the symptom. And we never identify or get to the cause. And if we don't get to the cause then we're always going to be prey and vulnerable to experience the symptoms. So today's challenge is what can we learn to strengthen ourselves and to strengthen our faith in the face of intimidation? There's three adjustments that to our sound, to how we operate in our lives that I want to give you based on our text this morning. Okay, and I've got seven minutes. Number one. Accountable faith. We're going to talk about three types of faith in, in dealing with intimidation. And the first one is accountable faith. You know, verse 11 is an awkward verse because it's a, it's a verse of tension and, and confrontation. Paul, it says, opposed Peter to his face. Everybody in the community would have known this. Everybody in the community would have felt this. Everyone in the community would have been holding their breath, wondering what, what is going to happen here. Paul noticed a contradiction in Peter's behavior, that he was acting one way until these guys showed up, and then suddenly his behavior changed. And that change and that shift was, was causing division and strife, and it, and it wasn't proper that Peter's actions were actually... Remember Ephesians, Paul wrote about the middle wall, the middle partition, that God, through Christ, has torn down so that those who are, who are close, those who are far away, Jew and Gentile, are now one. God is formed into one new man. And, and he saw Peter's actions as, as reconstructing the wall that Jesus' blood tore down. 
putting bricks back in place to, that would separate. And, he, and he, he couldn't be silent, so he, he confronted him and says, to his face. You know, Paul wouldn't be popular in the church today, not in the American church. Paul, Paul wouldn't be, wouldn't be the, you don't want Paul to be a part of your life group. Let's, let, let's put it that way, right? Because c- we're not used to that kind of honesty. We're not used to the, always that kind of a, exchange, and we, we try to hide from it. And besides, we find out it's, it's a lot easier to talk behind people's back than to talk to their face. Now, I'm not saying that we need to change and start going around. Before you leave today, don't go around and find six people and tell them everything they're doing wrong. I promise you this, that is not your spiritual gift. With the authority of the word of God, that is not your spiritual gift. Boy, here's what I am asking you. Is your faith accountable? I'm not talking about other people. Now I'm talking about you. Is your faith accountable? Who plays the role of Paul in your life? And it may be more than one person, but it won't be many. But who has that place? See, Paul, we, we see confrontation as a bad thing, but sometimes confrontation is actually a sign of love. And I think Paul loved Peter too much to let him get away with his stuff. And I'm saying, who, who has that place in your life? Who can ask you hard questions? Any question. Who can come to you and say, I, you know, I think I'm seeing this. Or, or this might be an area of caution for you. Who can tell you when you're messing up? Who can do that and you not, and, and you not get offended? And you take it serious. And you give it credibility. And you own it. See, who, who's that person in your life? Because accountability is foundational. If you're a serious disciple, accountability is one of those elements that, that are irreplaceable. You know, we do it in other areas of life. Any area of life that we really want to excel in, that we want to do well in, we find ways to make ourselves accountable to, to teachers, to coaches, to mentors, to, to, to uh, pastors, to parents. We find people who in that area could, could, we can make ourselves accountable to them because we want to get someplace. We want to excel in that area. We want to grow and expand and and develop and mature in that area. Accountability is irreplaceable. It keeps us on track and it keeps us moving forward. And it gives us some cover, gives us some protection. And usually, if you fail in accountability, you fail. Or you at least make your road harder. Because everything now is on you, trial trial and error. And there's no one who really has your back and we're, not, and we're also not always able to be objective about our own lives. Sometimes we're the worst person to be objective about our own life. And so we need, to be, we need people who will hold us accountable. See, the problem with Peter is his principles at that time weren't aligning with his practice, or vice versa, rather. His practice wasn't aligning with his principles. And sometimes we're guilty of that, but we don't even see it in our own life. We, we have a belief system, but we're behaving contrary to that. And because of the situation, because of the circumstance, because of whatever the reason is, we're not connecting the dots. Peter may have been unaware of the effect that he was having in the community, at least at the front end of it. Maybe he, he saw it, he saw those guys coming, he, saw it, he knew there was going to be trouble, so maybe he backed off trying to keep the peace. His, his intentions may have been noble, but he was missing the point. 
He was actually creating what he was trying to avoid. So Paul comes along, and his, his actions were not only, I don't think, an action of love, but also they were protective of Peter and of the gospel message. The, the wise man says this. Put Proverbs up. I think I gave it to you. Great verse. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. All right, who's that friend in your life? Who's that person that's allowed to confront you on anything, to call you out? Who's the person that's allowed to get in your face and say, practice what you preach? When when they see your behavior and your conduct shifting off of the foundation that they they know your your life is based on, who's, who's allowed to do that? And then I'd ask you another question. You may be thinking in your mind, you may be answering that. Well, it's this person. It's my husband. It's my wife. And, and that's great, but I wouldn't stop at husband and wife. You need another voice, another objective voice as well. All right? And it's hard to do that because in order for that, a person to have that kind of input on in our lives, that means we have to give them access to our life. We have to make our, choose to make ourselves vulnerable to, to that person in our lives. And so who is it? And then I tell you, uh, the second question is, if you have a name in mind, here, here's the question. Do they know it? Have you told them they're allowed to do that? Have you given them permission to say, you know, I, I really want, my Christian faith is important to me. And I don't want to take any chances of, of getting deceived or off base or just unaware and doing something. If you ever notice something in me, would you please come and talk to me about it? Just come and tell me how it feels and sounds and looks like from your side, because I'm in my own skin and I don't know. Have you, have you given somebody, do they know about it? Okay, enough. To Peter's credit. As far as I can tell, there's no record in Scripture that Peter took offense against Paul. That suddenly now there's a feud between Peter and Paul. In fact, if we go back to Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, um, at that council, Peter actually stands up and endorses Paul. He confirms and, and defends Paul's position on justification by faith. That, that the law um, and, and the letters of the law are no longer in effect, that it's now the grace of the cross through the cross of Christ. And so, to Peter's credit, and accountability is so important in our lives. And I, I suggest if you can't answer the question, answer the question. Make an adjustment in your life because you're missing out on something that's very good for you, very beneficial. The benefits uh, of accountability are, are too too important and, and, and too many to ignore. Through accountability, it, it builds, first of all, it, it builds humility into us. It instills humility because you've got to humble yourself to make yourself accountable. It deepens relationships with others. It increases our own development and success in our, in our walk of faith. It adds responsibility to our choices because we know someone's watching. It develops trust in relationships, in human relationships. It urges biblical literacy because it forces us to always be examining and checking our lives against the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. It gives us an automatic outlet for sharing our burdens and finding prayer support, this thing called accountable faith. Secondly, courageous faith. Courageous faith. Verse 12 
Life was good, and then the boys from Jerusalem show up, right? And when Peter saw them coming, now I don't know if he knew them personally. Peter was in Jerusalem for a period of time. He was one of the leaders in Jerusalem, so he may have recognized them. But whether he knew them personally or not, he knew why they were there. He knew what their agenda was. And it says that he drew back and separated himself. All right, now there's a, there's a sure sign of intimidation being in the room. You, you draw back and separate yourself. You recoil. See, because that's, that's the hope and the intent of intimidation. To, to get you um, off step, to, to stop your progress, to get you to change your direction through intimidation. And intimidation come, manifests itself in one common way, and that is fear. Fear. Two forms. Number one, biggie, that all of us struggle with, fear of man. The, the fear of man, fear of people. You, you can be intimidated by, certainly by people you know. You can be intimidated, intimidated by people you've never met. You know, there's some scary people on the news these days. I've never met them, but they make me nervous. The intimidation, fear of man can come in a lot of different packaging. Peer pressure sometimes is a source of intimidation. These are friends or people you want to be your friends. And peer pressure can be intimidating. Having a desire to please all the people all the time. Because you're, you're in need of, of, of approval or acceptance or honor or recognition. That all, that all comes under this same heading of fear of people, fear of man. And when, when the fear of man grips your heart, it causes your faith to take a back seat. Fear has now replaced or at least minimized faith. We see it throughout Scripture through even wonderful, great men um, of God. Abraham lied about his relationship to his wife because he was intimidated by the culture that he found himself in. King Saul was intimidated by David's popularity to such a point that he wanted to destroy David. King David then, as years later, had Uriah killed so the people wouldn't find out what he did. The whole Bathsheba debacle. Elijah, the great prophet, through, through whom God did great miracles, hid from Jezebel, not even from the king, but from the king's wife, because he was afraid of, of her threats. Peter, the same apostle Peter, before he was an apostle while Jesus was Hanging on a cross, denied Jesus three times because of intimidation, because of the fear of man. And it's not just people that can intimidate us, but we can draw back and separate ourselves in our faith by circumstances as well. It may not have a face. It's, it's a situation. It's a life event that attacks, that comes against, that intimidates our faith. It makes us think and act contrary to what we believe. You may be dealing with something today, a real-life event, a, a sickness, a relational malfunction, a, a money issue, an addiction, some kind of perceived threat. You may be juggling right now and feeling that you're under the pressure of that of that thing. See, Peter knew better. P Peter knew better. 
if you, if you knew and went back and looked at the story in, in Acts 10, we know that Peter knew better. In, in Acts 10, there's this Roman military leader. His name's Cornelius, and he's in Caesarea. And he's a, he's a Jewish proselyte, okay? So he's a righteous man. He's a religious man. And God speaks to him in a, in a dream and says, you need to find this guy, Peter, and bring him to you because he has something to tell you. And so he sends from Caesarea, he sends some of his guys to go find Peter. Now, while that's happening, Peter's having a dream himself. And in that dream, he sees this big net coming down from heaven. And inside the net is all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. Okay, now there's kosher, unkosher. Satisfies the law against the law. And a voice tells him, take and eat. To which Peter takes offense and speaks back and says, no, I've never eaten anything that's unclean or anything that's touched something that's unclean. And God says to him, don't call unclean that which I've made clean. And Peter's trying to figure out what that means. All right, so he's, he's working that through in his mind. It says that while he's pondering that instruction, Cornelius' guys show up at the house. Say, hey, we're looking for Peter. Peter comes down. They introduce themselves. Our master Cornelius has asked that you come. And, and the Lord impresses Peter and says, go with him. So he goes with him and he gets there. And he comes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius has, has the room, his house filled with his family members and friends and whatever. And, and says, Peter... I don't know, I just, the Lord told me to go find you that you have something to tell us. And, and Peter just explained the gospel. He just confirmed, he talked about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says that as Peter spoke to them, that there was another day of Pentecost type of experience. That the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his family and his household, and they were always speaking in tongues. And in that, what God told Peter about clean and unclean, don't call in unclean, clean, or what God calls clean, unclean, it made sense to him now. He got it. He understood it. God, you're opening this whole thing up to everybody. This isn't just for Jews anymore. You're you're opening the gospel wide. You're saying that all men can come, whosoever can actually come to you and find eternal life. God, that's where it, it clicked inside of Peter. He got it. He understand. In fact, that's Acts 10. If you go to Acts 11, Peter is actually confronted by the Judaizers and saying, what's going on? And he tells them this story and he tells them their account and he says, this is what God is saying and this is what it means. And he explains this whole new way of living life and, 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 and the new covenant and the, the structure of it where we're all one in Christ, Jew and Gentile, no more divided. That there's no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no slave, no free in Christ. And he explained, and it says, not only did he explain, it says that, that some of them believed him. He actually converted some of them. All right, so it's, we, we, now we fast forward, we come to Galatians, and so it's not that Peter didn't know. He knew. And this same Peter, the same man of faith that one time stood and preached the gospel and the new, good news of the new news to these, this same party, now in Antioch, he's intimidated. That's kind of frustrating. But if we want to be honest, there's points in our lives where we've done the same thing. There's points in our lives where here's what I believe. 
but here's how I behaved. And they don't line up. They don't match. See, Peter failed at Antioch. He failed to believe through the intimidation of the moment. He, he failed to stand and stand firm. He, 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 he didn't deal with the fear at the front end properly. He allowed it to cause him to withdraw himself, to pull back. Because I'm telling you this, there's only one answer. There's only one answer to the fear of man and the fear of circumstance. And the only answer is courageous faith. How do we meet those moments? It's going to require courageous faith. It's going to require a faith that just stubbornly stands right in the face of intimidation. It, it, immovable. And it stands and it says, with my God, nothing's impossible. It stands and it says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It stands like Job stood. Remember Job's statement? Going through this horrendous experience in life. Though he slay me, bad theology. God wasn't doing it. But he said that even if this is of God, I'm going to keep trusting him. That kind of courageous faith. That in the face of whatever it is, we're not coming off our foundation. We're not coming off what we know to be true. We're not coming off of who we know God to be. We're not going to change or be altered because of a voice of intimidation that's trying to pull us aside. You're stronger than you think you are. Listen, you're stronger than you think you are. In the middle of intimidation, you're stronger than you think you are. Fear lies. Okay? You're stronger than you think you are. I've got to give you the third point quickly. Authentic faith. Okay? Accountable faith. Courageous faith. Authentic faith. Verse 13 says that many of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter to such a point that even Barnabas, who is Paul's missionary partner, was being led astray. See, Paul, or Barnabas rather, wasn't Jewish, so he wasn't circumcised. And he's starting to be pulled away into this, this hypocrisy, is Scripture's term. Okay? Um, and Paul, in this scenario, Paul is the one who's now is the picture of authentic faith. Paul is the one who, who stands in the middle of intimidation and calls it for what it is. Paul is the one who has the faith that doesn't back down. Paul is the one who, with authentic faith, he, he doesn't attack in a, in a harmful way, but he stands for the, for the gospel. Remember, the Judaizers that were there, they weren't, they weren't even after Peter as the primary target. They're after Paul. Peter just happened to be, a ben they didn't even, probably didn't even know Peter was there until they got there. But they knew Paul was there. In Galatians, Paul again, these Judaizers that were going around to the different churches, Paul was their target. They were discrediting Paul on every possible opportunity. Paul stands with authentic faith. And, and how did he come to the conclusion? What did Paul see that Peter missed? Verse 14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It's simply, what does the Bible say about this kind of circumstance? And if it's contrary to the Bible, then I'm not going there. And I'm not buying into it. And I promise you, if you've known Jesus for more than five minutes, you have enough of the word of God in you. Because that salvation, I believe the Holy Spirit downloads a lot into your spirit. 
where you may not be able to point the chapter and verse, and you may not know the doctrinal and theological explanation behind it, but you know what's true. Deal with it. The gospel is always the standard of truth. And Paul was unwilling to compromise the gospel. He was able to see it because he was a man of authentic faith. And then he was willing to, to deal with it in a very uncomfortable way. He, but he, and, and was willing because it, says, it gives the impression that like not just Peter, but then all the other, the, like the rest of the group started following Peter. They, they're like dominoes falling one after another after another. And Peter with authentic faith, says, listen, I, I, I'm not coming off of this. If I'm the only one standing, then I'm the only one standing. But this is not in line with the truth of the gospel. This is not in line with the word of God. And here's what I love about the story as, it, as we come to our conclusions, is that through authentic faith, and it'll happen in our life if we'll live, if we'll live to, up to it, that Paul, not only was Paul not intimidated, but he attacked the very thing that was causing the intimidation. Paul became the intimidator. Isn't that interesting? We think people who intimidate are bad people. But I think there's a lesson for Christians to, live, to learn here. I think as Christians, sometimes we, we assume in, in some un unspoken, silently communicated message, we assume a very defensive posture in our faith. That our, our faith is about protecting us, keeping us safe, keeping us within boundaries and parameters. Our, our, our faith is to give us strength so that we can endure the pressures and the heartache and the darkness of this world. Now that's not wrong, but it's such a limited understanding of our faith. If that's all if that's the only way we employ our faith, our life is going to be difficult. We live our lives just trying every day to hold on and not lose ground. If I could just break even every day, that's not authentic faith. It's a part of it. But what happens? What do you think? Or could it be that faith is also meant to take ground? What if faith is also meant to, to advance, to grow, to expand, to, to conquer? What if that, you know, we talk about the shield of faith, and it gives us this mental image of, the, you know, the soldier standing back behind his shield, and all these arrows are coming and bouncing off it, and, and that's where we stand. A lot of times, that's how Christians live their lives. And we're always in this place where we love God, and we're not losing ground, maybe, and if we think that's the best we can do. Because it's so dark out there. But we're behind our shield of faith and we keep that shield in place. And that's a wonderful thing. But I've watched some of the movies of, of that era. You know what real soldiers do with their shield of faith? Because arrows can't penetrate it, they start advancing. Behind the shield of faith. But they start advancing. They start moving forward. And can I tell you something? From the archer's perspective, the closer that guy gets, the less effective my weapon becomes. And if, I, if he can get right too close, what's he got behind the shield? Ha <laughs> you read your Bible. He's got a sword in his hand. And now this, the intimidator is now the intimidated because of faith. That's authentic faith. That's the kind of faith 
that we're called to live and able to live in this life. The Bible, doesn't the Bible say resist the devil and he'll flee from him? Yeah, he goes around like a roaring lion. So what? Resist him. Don't just roll over. Don't just buy into whatever he's, he's teaching or peddling at that moment in time. What does the word of God say? The devil came directly. None of us have been tempted directly by the devil, I doubt. Jesus was. And in every situation, it is written. The word of God says, standing on the word, authentic faith, the victory is ours when the battle is the Lord's. You got to stand up. Lily, if you want to come. I believe we live in a time and we live in a season and we live in a climate where it's time for God's people to rise up in faith. Faith that's accountable, faith that's courageous, faith that's real, that's authentic. See, accountable faith brings us into unity and oneness with each other so we're not alone. Courageous faith helps us to stand against the pressures of the intimidations or attempted intimidations around us and authentic faith not only stands but advances, moves us forward so we can grow and enlarge and we can actually take ground. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is nothing in this life that we have to be afraid of. No matter what the enemy says or the circumstances says or the person said, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear but a a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So you're not powerless against intimidation. God has given you power to withstand it. Doesn't the Bible say that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you? That's power. That's power. How many of you are Christians today? You're you're Christian today. You know what? The Holy Spirit, where is he? He's in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You can say no to intimidation. You can withstand and you have the power to do it. Love doesn't give in to intimidation. The Bible says that perfect love casts all fear. And you say, but I don't, I don't love perfectly. No, you're reading the verse wrong. It's talking about God's love. His perfect love for you casts out fear. When you're confident that God loves you, what do you have to be afraid of? You know, you've probably, especially parents, you've had moments in raising your children where you may in life just be a pretty mild person, easy to get along with. But if there was that moment where your child was in danger, you were fearless. Right? You became fearless to defend that child. God loves you perfectly. You think he's not going to rush to your aid? He's not going to rush to your defense? You don't think he's going to hold up your hands? He's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. Not a mind that's battered and badgered with fear or anxiety or depression or indecision or hopelessness but a disciplined mind, a focused mind, a renewed mind that's that's transforming our lives. He's given us a life of faith. 
And it's through that life of faith that we want to live out his sound in this earth. I don't know where you are today. I would venture to say there's some here who, in some area of life, are dealing with with some form of intimidation. There's a situation, there's a person, there's a circumstance, there's a doctor's report, there's there's a financial issue, there's something that, that is wanting to make you afraid. There's something that's challenging you to move off of or doubt or is distracting you from the truth of the Word of God. And I'm here today on God's behalf, I believe, just to call you back center and to by faith. Let the Word of, of God gird up your faith today and stand against that fear because fear lies. Refocus yourself on the truth of the gospel. Refocus that area. Search scripture and find out what God promises and what the word of God says about that area of your life and stand on that. And even if the circumstance doesn't change, you will. It's like Pastor Jeremy said today. You will. And where you were cowering, you'll find the strength to stand. And when you find the strength to stand in faith, you'll find the enemy starts backing off. Instead of you backing off, you'll find the enemy will start backing off. So as we close in prayer, I'm just going to ask. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if if I can include you in in just our closing prayer, and we could agree as a family on your behalf. If there's some area of your life where you... You just want to give it back to the Lord and say, God, I want to make a stand in this area because it's, it's important. It's big and it's, it's a little scary. Would you just raise a hand just, just to be honest? Hallelujah. Father, here we are, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We belong to you. But Lord, we live in a world that's fallen. And, and we can get touched by that fallenness. And because we belong to you, sometimes we end up being the target. And the circumstances that we face, sometimes the, the enemy will use as, as um, weapons against us, reasons to attack us. And Lord, I pray that you gird up your sons and daughters today. In the, in the spirit of their mind, strengthen them. Lord, even the faith we have comes from you, and I pray that today you would strengthen their faith. Cause their faith to stand. Help them to to see clearly, reveal to them the reality of this moment and, and the area of intimidation that they've been experiencing And Father, I I pray a a holy, a godly strengthening rises up inside of them where they stand against it now in the name of Jesus. And they find victory. We denounce the spirit of intimidation in the name of Jesus and we break its chain. We break its power in the name of Jesus. And we declare freedom. We declare freedom. Whether our circumstance change immediately or never, we stand free in that circumstance. 
because of our confidence and our faith in Christ. Lord, release inside every one of us an accountable faith, a courageous faith, an authentic faith that stands firm and takes new ground in this world at this time for your glory, for the advancement of your gospel, that our sound would resound your sound. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Praise